Seven Seconds or Less Podcast. This is a podcast about the NBA with a Phoenix Suns focus. My name is Max McCauley and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host. His name is David Nash. David, there are actually live NBA games going on while we speak. There are, Max, and uh, my hometown team, Melbourne, is participating in one, giving Philly a, a decent run for their money, and it's good to have real NBA basketball back, Max. It is. Wait, they're giving them a run for their money? I haven't checked the score. Well, you know, as much as an NBL team can. They they ran OKC pretty well last year, but, you know, they're hanging in there. All right, enough Australian basketball. We have some things to do today. We actually have a guest again. It's been a little while since we've had one. Uh, we're doing the Pacific Division preview, which contains a, a pretty important team that I think everyone listening to this kind of has an affinity for. And then also the Central Division, which is a division that's kind of close to our guest's heart. Our guest, and also our friend, writes for Bright Side of the Sun. He is a reporter who also hosts the Locked On Suns podcast. His name is Evan Sidery. Evan, thanks for joining us. Yeah, no problem, guys. Been in the works for a while. I'm glad to join you. Yeah, it's a kind of a perfect episode for you because we're going to use the, the Suns part of the division preview just to kind of talk about media day and training camp, which you obviously attended. And then also uh, the Central Division, you're, you're a bit of an Indiana Pacers guy. Yeah, I grew up in Indiana. I just moved here about two, two and a half years ago. So I'm very familiar with the, not the Reggie Miller era. I know some people, if they don't know who are listening, I'm rather on the younger side. I'm 21. I'm about to be 22. So I did not live through the Reggie Miller era, at least the heyday of it. I was in the twilight, but I'm more of the Danny Granger, Troy Murphy, Mike Dunleavy Pacers. So I haven't had really many good memories there. No, not really. When I was a kid, I actually watched the eight second, eight points in eight seconds Reggie Miller thing live and, and cut it out of the newspaper and posted it on my wall. That's how that's how old I am. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, David, you want to get us started with the with the training camp media day stuff? Maybe ask Evan a couple questions. Yeah, as you said, Max, uh, Evan was at media day uh, along with a few other Suns friends that we have, and and Evan, I understand you've kind of spent the last couple of days up at training camp, but you're back in Phoenix now? Yeah, I actually spent the first two or so days up in training camp, and I've been back in Tempe, Phoenix area the past two days. Yeah, great. So as Max said, we kind of want to you know get your thoughts, get your insight on a couple of things. So starting with media day first... Probably the biggest thing and, and what everyone was really looking to get out of Media Day, I thought, was, you know, with our new number one pick, DeAndre Ayton. I was a little bit surprised how everyone spoke about Ayton. They're kind of putting the pressure on him a little bit, really talking up his talent rather than, you know, downplaying or, or trying to manage expectations with him. So were you a little bit surprised by that early on? Um, I would say a little bit, just because I really wasn't expecting much out of and I thought it'd be more of like a Booker kind of day, but obviously the number one overall pick, first one in franchise history, you sort of expect that with DeAndre Aiden. But I think from all intents and purposes, they've been working out together. The team has all summer. Most of them stayed in Phoenix. So what we haven't seen, the team has seen. I 
maybe DeAndre has been dominating and wouldn't shock me at all. And I think with the way Ryan Anderson t- spoke about him, with the way Booker spoke about him, Igor, we'll talk about Igor later with, with what happened at training camp, but he's developing Aiden right along the line with what we, we've been talking about before, just defense first. And that's the perfect thing with Aiden that I think he seems to be buying into what everyone is saying so far. I think that's very good for a guy that's only 20 years old. Yeah, Anderson is the the surprising one for me. I mean, you expect guys to be positive on on media day, obviously, but you know he he said some pretty telling things in regards to Aiton, and you know I, I thought maybe we'd get it from some of the rookies, kind of talking up how good Aiton's been in those workouts, but you know specifically Anderson saying some of the things that he did, you know, noticing his touch, uh, you know, his footwork, you know, how much he might be able to contribute straight away. I thought that was kind of telling come, coming from one of the veterans and um, you know, a guy that doesn't have to say that. And uh, obviously there, there was no pre PR stuff with the players from the Suns, you know, kind of instructing them not to, to say too much about eight. And they kind of went, went all in on that. So uh, I thought that was interesting. Max, what was, what was something you took from media day looking at clips and things? Yeah, you know, I'm a self-professed media day skeptic in all sports. I think that, you know, these are professional athletes who are being paid to represent their teams, and generally they're just going to say nice things because that's that's what you do when you're, you're paid by an organization. <laughs> but yep. I will say, I'm, I'm glad you touched on Ryan Anderson because he and Trevor Reza, when I listened to them, I, I bought it, hook, line, and sinker. I really think those guys, they're coming here not with the attitude of we just want to get paid, you know, we just we want our tens of millions – they seem like they really do care about this team. And they want these young guys to, you know, learn how to play basketball. They want to be the mentors for them. Evan, is that, is that kind of the impression you got? Because that was my biggest takeaway. Definitely. And really, Anderson spoke about more at training camp and also on Monday at media day. Just the comparison between Aiden and a younger Anthony Davis and a prime Dwight Howard because Anderson was around in both those times in Orlando and New Orleans. And he spoke about just how advanced DeAndre was that – He's, he knows that Anthony Davis during his rookie year was raw. He had a lot of untapped potential, and he wasn't really showing much of it, and obviously he did later on. But he said DeAndre's really flashing a lot as far as defense. He's picking up concepts really, really fast. He's um, also really dominating down on the block as well. So all advertising so far, at least from Anderson and a guy like Ariza's point of view, just if the veterans are saying it like you mentioned, Max, I, I buy it more than a guy like the younger guys because – I think just right away, comparing it Anderson and a guy like Jared Dudley, it's a completely different thing. Interesting. So expand on that. What what exactly is different between the two? I just feel like, honestly, the leadership, like the accountability part is something that those two guys are really like making me work so far. Because you can see it in training camp, those guys, when they speak, everyone listens. Maybe they did with Dudley, but I just feel like Coming from a winning background like they did, 65-win team with Ariza and Anderson, Dudley never really had the outside seven seconds or less. So I think those voices kind of grew tired than your younger guys last year. But when you bring in guys like Anderson and Ariza's caliber who have seen winning, who have seen playoff appearances, who know what it takes to win and play winning basketball, I think it's the perfect mesh for those guys. I think, it just, I think it's a step or two above what the older regime was. We still love you, Jared. <laughs> was it was it Troy Daniels on Media Day, Evan, who who made that kind of note from last season, where the the older heads' voices started to uh, have less effect on the young guys towards the end of the season? Yeah, it was Troy, and I think also, if I'm not mistaken, I was bouncing around a little bit between Media Day, like podium and separate interviews. But I believe Troy, and also I believe I think Trevor mentioned it. I think once 
I'm a bit mistaken on that though. Yeah, Trevor made a, a joke to Dave King actually about uh, you know what effect the the old guys had had in the past, which kind of got the room erupting a little bit. Uh, a, a little joke there towards them having you know basically no effect in the past. But was was there anything else from media day before we move on to training camp that that stood out to you, Evan? Yeah, I think it'd be interesting for you guys too because I know I listened in the seventh second for the last pod as well and. You guys always talk about the point guard situation, and McDonough, I had a one-on-one conversation with Ryan McDonough during the podium times for some players, and I'll pull up the quotes here really quick because I think it's just really interesting, and he mentioned the ideal guy that you put next to Devin Booker is a guy who's a plus defender, a plus facilitator, and a guy who's a great spot-up shooter, and that kind of gives you maybe a barometer of what the Suns are looking for in trade talks, and I was talking to Brendan Clean, the coach of Locked on Suns, about this after I'd said it to with Ryan McDonough. And that just screams Patrick Beverly toward me. I don't know if it did to any of you guys, but I just think that's kind of the model they're looking toward. I know McDonough also pointed toward James Harden being more of an archetype for him even more heading into his development. So McDonough had a, a lot of interesting comments about not only Booker's development, but also the point guard situation, what they could do to fill it here soon. So that's a pretty good segue to training camp because one of the questions that really I'm interested in, both in training camp and preseason, is is really this point guard battle. So kind of, you know, kind of assuming we don't make a trade, what's going to shake out? How are we going to handle these four guys who all are kind of underqualified and almost kind of all kind of close to each other? So, Evan, so far in training camp, who would you say if there if you can make a guess at this has been winning the point guard battle between the four and maybe if there is someone who's been losing it? I would say based off just experience, I would say right now Shaquille Harrison just because I think his summer league performance, even though he did struggle at times as far as feeding the ball down low DeAndre, and I think he has the defense experience that they're looking for. And he does he did tell me at media day his shot has improved, so if that is legit and he's shown in, in team workouts so far, I think he has the upper advantage because he does have the NBA experience. Elio Kobo has gotten some hype as well from McDonough and some of the players about his playmaking ability. I know McDonough told me that he said Elliot Kobo is the best guy he's seen read pick and rolls from a young point guard in a really long time. Wow. So I think half-court settings, I think Elliot Kobo makes a lot of sense as being a guy that gets a lot more minutes than we thought early. But I would say right now I would lean towards Shaq Harrison just because of the defensive factor. And if we speak more on Isaiah Cannon, I, know, I don't know if this is a take or not, but I really think Isaiah Cannon, because I know his deal is non-guaranteed. It's not for the regular season. Unless he does make it, he will have it fully guaranteed. But I don't see how Cam makes the roster. I really don't see how they carry four point guards. I know that's been talked about before, but I, I, I really think they'd make a move before they keep four point guards in the roster. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And, we, you know, Max and I have touched on on this pod quite a bit. There is a, a bit of a roster crunch there. And uh, unless there's a, a trade with more players going out than coming in, it, it's really hard to see Cannon making the final roster. But take us into training camp a little bit now, Evan. Like, uh, you know, from what I understand... They let you guys in kind of, you know, with 20 or so minutes left in the in the session, kind of like draft workouts, letting you kind of come in for the, the last few things rather than seeing the whole session behind closed doors. But, you know, what are you seeing from the point guards when they do let you in? Is it just a lot of spot-up shooting? And, and what are you taking out of that with, say, guys like Melton? Uh, or, or are they allowing you to see a, a little bit more full-court stuff where you, you're getting to see some playmaking from these guys too? We do see a little bit of full-court. Unfortunately, it's not like player against player. It's just 1v0 most of the time. But um, a lot of the time they're working on playmaking. They're working on a lot of passing because I know Igor's offense is built heavily around the motion schemes. And 
they work a lot on that, at least from what we saw. And Elliot Koba really stood out during that. I believe Shaq did as well. But when you see a guy like DeAndre Aiden run the court in Igor's system in transition, that they had a couple transition drills going on, he's a freight train out there. I mean, if he gets a full head of steam and he is a guy that can get down the floor and run like that right on a regular basis, then Igor's going to really make use of that because, at least from what we saw, there's going to be lots of motion, a really fast-paced offense, and guys like Devin Booker and DeAndre, and Igor's going to optimize those guys big time, and that's what they spoke of. We also saw communication. That's a big focus of Igor as well. Defensively, they're trying to install a switch-heavy defense. And I, I, think, I think I tweeted this, I think, on Wednesday or Tuesday, but um, as far as the communication goes with the defense, it was by far the last I've ever heard it in a 15-minute session that I've heard in the past year and a half since I've been covering the team as far as how vocal they are on defense. And I that's a big thing that's going to be different this year is that instead of hearing under Watson and Jay Trion, you never heard any guys really communicate back and forth. But now I think when you're sitting close to near the core at, at Suns game this year, you're going to be hearing a lot more communication. Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty good segue into talking about Igor here, Max. And I'm not sure what what thoughts you might have to, to ask Evan in relation to Igor, but I, I was pretty... Uh, happy to see the the Gobert reference because that was something I'd hmm. kind of predicted when we hired Igor uh, in setting up his defensive scheme, Max. And uh, as Evan alludes to it, it looks like they're really putting Aiton in that drop back defensive anchor role. I'm sure he will do some switching himself once he kind of gets up with all the de- defensive concepts, but looks like they're, they're popping him back in the in the paint and, and letting else, everyone else switch around him. So have you have you seen any clips from training camp around what Evan's talking about, Max, and, and the loud gym with it, with everyone talking? You know, a little bit. I've mostly just seen the quotes, and everything that you're hearing is just, it's just exactly what you want to hear. And listen, this is just words. We, we don't know if that's going to actually translate to the floor, but like I, like I tweeted, Earl Watson would have been calling uh, DeAndre Ayton a seven-foot Kobe or something stupid like that. So <laughs> just the fact that he's like saying the right things is an improvement. I think that so far it's extremely early. Igor seems to be everything that was advertised. I mean, do you think that's right? Like, What are your impressions of Igor overall just in how he's been handling and you know, running this training camp? Oh, absolutely. Like, I've only been around Igor not much this offseason, but over the past two days – I feel like I learned so much new things talking basketball with that guy. Just He's such a, a smart basketball mind that I think it's going to be really obvious for a lot of fans and they see it too because he's a really soft-spoken guy. He doesn't talk that loud, but he's a complete guy that he, the players want to run a, run through a wall for. You can tell that in practice already. Just He's a player's coach. I know Josh Jackson in the undefeated, the diary he's doing with the undefeated Mark Spears. He's he called. He compared him to Steve Kerr as far as being a, a guy that just lets the players do, lets them have their own talking session, and then they communicate back and forth, so to say. Like it's not like just like a, a demanding process that Igor is doing, and it shows so far in practice. The young guys really love talking to Igor. Igor himself, I feel like he's unfairly boxed in as far as being an offensive innovator because I think honestly defense is uh, more to me than offense so far, and that's a great thing because I can't I, honestly I'm not from here like you guys know, but. I feel like in the Suns' history, I can't remember the last time they had a good defense. Yeah, and Igor says it himself. You know, you you can't be an offensive or defensive coach in the NBA or in basketball at all because to be, uh, you know, a genius on one side of the ball, you need to understand what uh, the other team is going to throw you on the other side of the ball. Mm-hmm. So 
I think he's been, uh, you know, it shows been pretty dedicated to to changing the culture of this team on the defensive end more than even the offensive end, and and maybe that's somewhere that this Suns team that we weren't currently really predicting can really improve right away because, you know, we were quite low down from a, a defensive standpoint, and you know you. You can't make a jump right up to being elite straight away without personnel and things, but you know schemes and and even just effort max and communication, as Evan has said, has you know that that can get you up to you know maybe mid table in terms of defense, you know, pretty quickly, don't you think? Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, look at San Antonio. I mean, they their personnel is better than ours, but they don't have elite defensive personnel besides exactly. The, the use of quiet, and they're in the top three every single year just because. They're in the right place because Pop puts them in the right place, and they try. Like you said, effort's a huge bit. It's a giant part of it. Uh, I would like to move on a little bit. Uh, David and I and some others got into a bit of an argument about TJ Warren last night. Um, there's been some talk about TJ and a little bit about Josh, too, looking a little bit better from three-point range. I don't know if you've seen any of that, Evan. I don't know if you've been in on them shooting. Uh, what have you seen from that? And also, I know you've seen uh, Melton and Mikel, so you can talk about that also. Yeah, as far as TJ goes, I, I have not seen him shoot yet. I don't know if that's by design by the team, but we have not been able to see TJ Warren shoot the ball in media viewing yet. Interesting. Secret weapon. Maybe maybe they did the last day or so. I could ask Count about that, but at least a few days I was up there, they did not, TJ was not shooting during that time. But Josh's shot does look better. I saw a little bit of him. The hitch is kind of slowly getting down and away. It's more of a smoother release. He's kind of – I noticed – I don't know if you guys noticed it too or not when you watched Josh last year, but sometimes he would shoot the ball still while he was going up in the air, and I feel like that's kind of been correcting itself more and more, so that looks a lot better. McHale was shooting the ball in a slower release. Like I know a lot of people freaked out about that around summer league time when he was shooting with Jay Wright, and his release was really slow. He was doing that again, but I asked him about it. He just said he's doing that just for practice reasons. It helps him a lot. And then the biggest guy as far as new shooting strokes go, D'Anthony Melton looks just like Agent Zero. Like, it's crazy how, how mm. similar it looks because I went side by side and I watched the slow-mo clip that I put on Twitter and also watched some Gilbert Arenas, and it's nearly picture-perfect. Drew Hanling quoted that tweet and said, congrats, D'Anthony Melton. So I think if D'Anthony Melton can shoot the ball, we touched on this off the air before, but if D'Anthony Melton can shoot the ball like I saw in workouts in Flagstaff, He's going to be a guy that's not shooting below 30% from three, and that immediately brings up his value so much in that Houston trade. I love that follow-up tweet from Drew Hanlon, who uh, called out Uber drivers in the Phoenix area to to pick Melton up because he might be intoxicated for, for saying that he can beat Drew Hanlon in a shootout competition. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, just going back into training camp quickly, Evan, you know, maybe starting with Aiton, who are we seeing kind of working with other guys? You know, I've seen images and videos. Aiton seems to be with, with Igor quite a lot. Uh, Corliss Williamson seems to be guarding him quite a lot. So I expect them two to work quite closely together. Um, I haven't really seen, but you may have. Is there any kind of Tyson and Aiton working together to, you know, get bits of advice? And have you seen, you know, I know you've been pretty strong on talking about the, the young guys having a role model vet at every position. So have you seen uh, players kind of working together and, and helping each other out, as you've alluded to? Uh, we haven't really seen it much as far as media availability, but from the guys, when we talk to them, it's obvious that happens during practice because Bender spoke on it up in training camp that Anderson's helped him a lot. I noticed maybe so, maybe it's just Anderson and Bender just talking back and forth, but his shot looks a little bit better. Dragons does. Maybe there's help with Ryan. Who knows? But 
as far as that goes, I think that, that he's really helping Bender out. Tyson, I haven't seen as much. He's very vocal still in practice. Obviously, DeAndre tells us that, but he looks like he's helping DeAndre out a lot, and Ariza's helping out Jackson and Burns a lot because, as McKill told us in, in my podcast interview with him over at Locked on Suns about how Trevor has him and Josh wake up every morning and work out with him before they even do practice. So that tells you how much Trevor already cares about doing that leadership role. And he's a guy that's on a one-year $15 million deal. He could easily just take his payday and leave after a year. But he's taking this mentoring thing a lot more serious than a lot, probably a lot of people thought he would. And that's that's going to pay such big dividends for guys like Ariza and Jackson and even TJ Warren. All right, we can probably move on, Max, but before we do, we we won't be delving into Phoenix too much in the Pacific preview to come. So, Evan, how about a, a bold prediction for the Phoenix Suns, maybe something you've taken out of media day or training camp or or something completely independent of that? Have you have you got something for us going into the season? Yeah, I've got two for you. I'm going to do a team one and an individual one. Go for it. For the team, I'm going to say the Suns do crack 30 wins, even without even if they don't get a point guard, I'm going to go bold and say that even if they have Shaq Harris for 82 games, I believe the talent on this roster is enough for them to get over 30 wins. I would say 32 and 50. Okay. I think Booker is going, this leads to my second point here. I think Booker is going to take the leap this year under Igor. I've been saying it all summer. I believe Booker is going to be a guy averages 27 points, five rebounds, seven assists, turns into baby Harden and makes his first all-star game. Wow. That'll, uh, that'll kick one of those, uh, escalators maybe in even because he may even be in all NBA kind of territory by the end of the year with with stats like that. But uh, that's certainly a bold prediction and what we like on these episodes recently, Max. We love the bold predictions, and we're gonna get to a few more once we start uh, the division preview coming up soon. But before we do that, David, are you ready for? Did you know? Always. So Max and Evan, we saved the Pacific Division and Central Division last for a reason, as you mentioned. With Evan joining us, we thought it would only be right to discuss the Suns with him, as well as his hometown Indiana Pacers and their division. The Suns, of course, celebrated 50 years in the NBA from 1968, just last season, while the Pacers were founded one year earlier in 1967. But they were infamously part of the ABA at that point. They didn't join the NBA until the 76th season, part of the merger where the Pacers, Nets, Spurs and Nuggets all joined the NBA ranks. But going off on a a small tangent here for a minute, that merger actually still has repercussions today. I won't go into it too much, but for any of our listeners who are interested, I suggest you Google the St. Louis Spirits. Uh, They weren't accepted in the merger, but negotiated a TV deal that sees the Pacers and the other teams still paying them a percentage of revenue right up until today. But back on track now, guys, did you know that there have been 32 players who've played for both the Suns and Pacers in their NBA career? Evan, starting with you, can you name any? Can you rattle off one or two for me? Oh, man. Oh. I feel like, did Travis... Diener? No. Okay. Um, cool. Man, this is tough. It is. I like to put people on the spot here. So. Yeah, he does. What about Troy Murphy? Troy Murphy was not. He didn't play for the Suns, I don't think. Think uh, Think. early McDonough trades, maybe, might give you a couple. Early McDonough trades. Ooh. Man, this is tough. Max, can you help him out with any? What do you think, Max? Early McDonough trades... Oh, man. I don't think we really, unless I'm blanking on something, we didn't trade with the Pacers, so it just must be the other player who played for both the teams. 
There was the Gerald Green Miles Plumley trade. Oh god. Some other names for you I'll throw out. Jermaine O'Neal had a short stint with the Suns. Uh that's very forgettable. Chase Buttinger also had a short stint with the Suns. Uh fan favorite Lou Armanson also had a short stint with the Pacers, as did Leandro Barbosa. That's some of the names from recent times. Slightly before them, current front office member James Jones, big man Mark West, current Suns announcer Eddie Johnson, and media man Jalen Rose obviously also had a small stint with the Suns too. Uh, a name I'd never heard of before, guys, Devin Durant. That's with two R's, so no relation to Kevin. And he only played 63 games in the NBA, 59 for Indiana and four for the Suns. But another name I'd never heard of and had probably the most successful career of the lot was Mike Bantam. He was drafted by the Suns in 73 with the 8th overall pick. He was a 6'9 forward from Philadelphia who played 9 seasons in the NBA, including 355 games for Indiana and 165 for Phoenix throughout the 70s. But his NBA career was largely unmemorable because he only had three playoff series, none for Phoenix and only two postseason games for the Pacers. Uh, it's actually his pre-pro career that gives him possibly his biggest mark on the game. Second quiz for you both here. The U.S. men's Olympic team has only lost the gold on three occasions. Can you think of any years where the U.S. didn't win the Olympic gold medal, guys? Um... 2004? That's one. That's the one I was expecting you to get. I don't expect <laughs> either of you to get uh, any of the other two. I think uh, Doug Col- Doug Collins year, what was that, like 72? Yes, on the mark. That's two of the three. I don't know the third. 92? Uh, ooh, just before that, Evan, it was the 88 Seoul Games. The- oh, because that's the one that we didn't have the NBA players, right? Yes, so the, the US won bronze that year, that time beating my Australian team uh, in that bronze playoff game. And as Max just alluded to there, the US team only had college guys, and, and Marley and Manning were both on that 88 team from the Suns. But... It's the 72 loss in Germany that was far more controversial and brings us back to our focus on Mike Bantam. He was a member of the team, uh, played for the Suns and Pacers after and averaged 7.7 points throughout that tournament. The US started 8-0 and was 63-0 overall for their Olympic record before the gold medal match against the Soviet Union. It's arguably the most controversial end to a game in history of basketball. After a 26-21 first half in favor of the Soviets, that's when things got interesting. Dwight Jones, the US maybe best player, was sent off after a confrontation. Uh, Jim Brewer, another great player on the team, was injured by a hard foul and unable to continue. And the opposition pushed the lead out to 10 points. Uh, The US started pressing and cut it back to one. And there was a timeout controversy, a substitution controversy. Two random horns went off during the game. And there was three replayed inbounds plays of the same play, all of which ended with the US losing the game on a buzzer beater. Understandably, there was a protest and an appeal, but no action ever saw the result overturned. And... As a result, guys, no member of that U.S. team has ever accepted their silver medal for that game. Two of the more weird stories are that uh, one player had his wife wanting him to accept the medal for his children and family, and he refused. 
and another player actually wrote into his will that no family member could try and claim the medal after he passed away. So that does it for this week's little history lesson, guys. I suggest any listeners go back and there is footage to watch and further explanation of that controversy, but I'm excited to jump into these last two divisions with Evan Max. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. That's always kind of a missed part of basketball history. I know Bill Simmons always refers to those free throws that Doug Collins made towards the end of that game. I think tie it or something as the, the highest pressure free throws that have ever been made in the history of basketball. So I'd like to watch that game sometime. Yeah, one of those horns goes off as he sinks the uh, sec- like mid-stroke, but he still sinks the second free throw. And I think that, that put them up by one, and that's where the controversy kind of all started. And there was... As I said, uh, three repeated inbounds plays for all very different reasons after that uh, after that free throw from Doug. Seems fair. <laughs> all right, so we're going to get into the rest of the Pacific preview. We just did uh, the Phoenix Suns, obviously. You guys know the ins and outs there, so we'll skip that. We're going to start with the Golden State Warriors. You all may have heard of them. They added DeMarcus Cousins, Jacob Evans, Daniel House, Phoenix's own. Jonas Jarebko, and Tyler Ewis, also Phoenix's own. I forgot they did that. Uh, out are JaVale McGee, Zaza Pachulia, David West, and Nick Young. David, I think you're handling these guys, right? Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned House and Ewis there because they're our son's link for the Warriors. Uh, the Warriors, I think, only have 13 guaranteed contracts at the moment, so there's a chance one or two of those guys maybe make the final team, but... You know, Boogie was obviously the big off-season acquisition. You and I have have discussed that uh, a little bit in depth on a previous pod and and kind of resulted in thinking that, you know, he may not have a a huge bearing on this team, particularly for the regular season. But we got a question a couple of weeks ago from a listener, Max, which I thought was really interesting. It's probably the, the best question to ask when it comes to the Warriors. So I'll throw it to the two of you. I think I know your answer, Max, but... Evan, I'll start with you. Would you take the Golden State Warriors or the field when it comes to the winner of the whole thing at the end of the season? Well, I hate to be a Debbie Downer, but I feel like the season's already over. I'm going to say the Golden State Warriors. I don't think it's really that close. Wow. Max, I I think you might be on the other side, but you might surprise me. As listeners to this podcast know, I've already sort of spoiled my answer to this, but uh, my bold prediction will fill us in a little bit more on, on how I feel about the Golden State Warriors this season. All right, well, uh, we can skip over that. I'll say that I'm going to take the field, uh, not for any team in particular, but I just think uh, it's it's probably a smart bet. But, Evan, you know, you could argue that yours is the smarter bet uh, given the history of the Warriors. But I don't think we need to touch on too much more with those guys, Max, so maybe we can jump into the Clippers. Yeah, the last thing I'll say uh, on the Warriors is just that They've kind of been, I know they've had some injury problems, but they really haven't been injury problems that have affected them, you know, in, when it when it counts. Like, Durant was out for like the end of a regular season one year, and, and Curry was hurt the 2016 thing, but they're kind of due for some, you know, bad things happening to them. It's hard to say this healthy this long, so that's that's kind of my thinking, and we'll get a little more into that in a second. But yeah, the Los Angeles Clippers. This is a little more of a, you know, interesting go one or two ways team, so... They added Shea Gilders Alexander, David's favorite. They added Marcin Gortat, Luke Babamute, Jonathan Motley, and Mike Scott. They lost Sam Decker, DeAndre Jordan, Austin Rivers, and CJ Williams. Evan, I'll start with you on this question, and David, you can jump on after. 
Who's the most important player on this team? Ooh, it's so many different guys in this roster. It's such an interesting group. I think, to be honest, I think it's Tobias Harris if they're not going to trim for Jimmy Butler. It could be Jimmy Butler here soon, but I think Tobias Harris is the answer for me because he declined an extension this summer. He, I think he's by far one of the better underrated, versatile stretch fours in the NBA. And I feel like he's their key. If the Clippers, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, I think you guys can correct me here, they do have a protected first going toward Boston. I think it's 1 through 14 lottery protected. So Something like that. They do have some sort of mandate to be good this year to try to get that pick if they want it. So I think Tobias Harris is by far the most important guy because if he averages 20 points plus and they could get a guy like Jimmy Butler on board alongside Harris, I think they could be easily a playoff contender. Maybe Patrick Beverly is the second guy behind him. But I think the Clippers alongside many other teams that are not we're discussing that. I think the Wizards, the Blazers, the Grizzlies – a lot of these teams have a, a really tough tough decision to make once January, February comes around because I think that the Clippers are one of those teams like Danilo Gallinari, Patrick Beverly, Tobias Harris. They could be sellers or buyers at the deadline depending on what happens. So I think it's going to be a really interesting time for one of those teams like the Clippers. Yeah, I'd probably agree with Evan there, but just to throw out a, a different name and, and one he just mentioned, I would probably say Danilo Gallinari purely because his health probably – or, or maybe sit, says where this team goes, Max. Uh, and he, if he can play, you know, a significant portion of the season along with a lot of those other guys that Evan just mentioned, and I, I will note, you know, Gortat and, and Wes Johnson are two Suns links on this team. But you know, he might him playing well will either you know project them forward into being a playoff contender, or or maybe even give them a piece to trade to make another move if if he can look convincing on the court. So you know, his health might be the barometer for which way this Clippers team goes, Max. Yeah, so I agree with you guys. If if we're, we're looking at this as, you know, who's going to make them the best this season? Like, who's the most important player? I think you guys nailed it. But I'm going to kind of do like a trick answer to this question. I think the answer is Shea Gilgis-Alexander because he showed a lot in, in, in summer league. And if he's like a, an immediate star or shows that kind of potential, that situation all of a sudden looks really attractive with the two you know, open free agency spots for max players uh, this summer. That's a great point. And they obviously loved him pre-draft and mm-hmm. looks like they were the team that kind of locked him away and, and didn't let him do too many other workouts and things with other teams. So yeah, I, I can see that. I think it's a, a good, slightly different angle to, to look at this team at through. Really quickly also on the Clippers, if you guys don't mind, just answering Max's question there about Shea. What does that say if Shea does impress early? Do you think a guy like Beverly is made available? Because obviously from Sean's reports, tying this into a Sun sort of thing, if he's available, maybe they – and Shea is good. Maybe they, they relent off the Bucks pick or maybe a future first-round pick and the Suns can get in for a lower price. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point and it's very possible. So I think right now what's going on with that negotiation, what I mean, my read of it is that – you know, the, that's what they're asking for. The Clippers want the Bucks pick. And McDonough's like, no, we're not going to give you the Bucks pick for a guy who's 30, 31, and, you know, expires this season. It's just making a lot of sense. And it's going to go one or two ways. Either the Suns are going to get more desperate and kind of have to trade the, the Milwaukee pick. Or, like you said, Shea Gilders Alexander will break out and Beverly won't, you know, play very much. And the Clippers will be like, yeah, we're going to lose him anyway. We might as well just grab a second-round pick for him. So I think you raise a good point. That's something that definitely could happen. I, I think it's it's possible. David, what do you think? Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see how they cut down to 15 players before the season starts. Uh, if Teodosic and Beverly still make that cut and they haven't made a, a 
you know a deal before then then i think evan's point is very valid if if sga you know really shows that he's deserving of minutes then you you probably only need one of those guys and you know i'm sure the other one wants to play rather than uh, you know, be left on the end of the bench. So mm-hmm. that could be where we see them, you know, tank their value a little bit by, you know, being a little malcontent and maybe leaking a few rumors out there that they, they want to get out of LA. So a, an interesting one to watch, but we should probably move on to the other LA team now, Max. Yeah, let's move on to the Lakers. Real quick though, I want to commend Evan. You got it exactly right. It's a uh, one through 14 protected from LA to Boston. And then also one through 14 again the next year. So nice work on that. Oh, appreciate it. All right, so the Los Angeles Lakers added Michael Beasley, Isaac Bonga, JaVale McGee, Shvi Miluk, Rajon Rondo, Lance Stevenson, and Moritz Wagner. I think that's it, right? <laughs> I think you might be forgetting the most important one there, Max. Oh, LeBron James, right. We have to, we have to, we have to put up with the Lakers fans rooting for him. That's pretty fun. That guy. Or, or some of the Lakers fans not rooting for him, which I'm finding very funny this offseason. Wait, is that a... happening? Oh, yeah. There's, there is Kobe stands who are very much against uh, LeBron being the savior of this franchise. That's for sure. Well, that's insane. But uh, I'll finish with the outs. Thomas Bryant, Luol Dang, Tyler Ennis, Channing Frye, Brooke Lopez, Gary Payton II, Julius Randall, Isaiah Thomas. David, I think this is your team. It is. You mentioned Beasley at the top there, obviously the only ex-son on this team by my count, but we also play the Lakers game four. I know that Booker has said in recent days he wants to be back for game one, but it'll be be interesting to see timing-wise whether he's back for this one, Max. But you know, my big question with this team, and uh, I'll throw it to you guys because I don't want to give away my uh, bold prediction at the end here, but do you think that the Lakers will make a move uh, this season uh, to bring in another star with LeBron? Um, I think it really depends on how they start, to be honest. If they start off slow, I think they do. But I don't know who that guy's going to be because I don't know if a star becomes available just because the Lakers want that guy. So I think, realistically, Anthony Davis is going to be summer 2019. He'll be a pre-agent at that point, meaning that he's a year before he hits his final expiring year of his contract, and usually the trend is nowadays that they request out and they force a trade out. So I could see Anthony Davis doing that next summer. I, I would guarantee you probably at this point that the Los Angeles Lakers will be on that short list of who he wants to go to. And I'm not going to spoil who my big player is for the Lakers, so I'll pass to Max here. But I think some of these young core guys are going to have to prove themselves this year, not only for the Lakers, but for other teams to show them some value. Yeah, uh, I was going to say... Davis too. I don't think they'll make a trade for a player. I think they're going to be patient because I, I mean, it's kind of hard to predict because we don't know what Ball and Ingram etc. are going to look like. But uh, I think they're kind of invested in developing those guys. But if, if a guy like Anthony Davis becomes available, which it seems like it might be possible, he signed with Rich Paul. Uh, Stephen A. Smith, I think, is saying that he's unhappy in New Orleans. Which you know, it's Stephen A. Smith, but who knows? You know, some smoke. So, you know, if New Orleans gets off to a, you know, sort of a bad start and by the trade deadline, it's clear they're not they're not part of it. Um, yeah, it wouldn't totally shock me if we got a Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball, Anthony Davis sort of blockbuster kind of trade. Yeah, and another thing I'll note with, with LeBron and the Lakers, everyone kind of pre his decision to join the Lakers were wondering if he would, would stay out east. But, you know, with what we've seen with the Warriors the last couple of seasons, you know, maybe there was a 
attraction to to get out west and and get the Warriors earlier in the playoffs and and not three series into a a playoff series where they've kind of got everything worked out. So I can't remember what podcast it was I was listening to the other day, uh, maybe Zach Lowe or Howard Beck, where you know someone noted that you know the Warriors and Rockets aren't going to want to draw the Lakers in the first round, no matter how bad the Lakers have looked throughout <laughs> throughout the regular season, because you know LeBron is LeBron at the end of the day. Yeah, that's a landmine. <laughs> All right, should we go on to the Sacramento Kings? We can. We can skip over Phoenix, as we said, and, and finish off this division with Sacramento, Max. Y'all know who Phoenix added. Okay, Sacramento Kings added Marvin Bagley III, Nemanja Bielitsa, uh Yogi Ferrell, and Ben McLemore. Back again. Uh, out were Bruno Caboclo, who I guess was on their team shortly. Oh, when was that? When did that happen, David? Do you remember or Evan? Um, I think Bruno got waived. Was it right before summer league or maybe right before free agency? I think something like that. Okay. Yeah. So Bruno and Malaki Richardson changed spots. Uh, you know, before the deadline last season, I'm guessing, and uh, then Bruno got waived. Right. And I think, as we noted. Uh, last episode, Max, is, is on the Houston Rockets uh, training camp roster, I believe. Okay. Well, that does it for the Bruno Caboclo talk on this podcast forever. <laughs> uh, all right. Vince Carter also left. Jack Cooley, Suns fan favorite. Uh, and then Garrett Temple, I guess, is the last one who matters. Evan, I'll start with you on the Sacramento. I think we all know this team is not going to be good. I mean, there's just no chance this team's good. They don't have talent. The talent that they have is very young and, you know, sort of imperfect. What are you looking for for this this team? Like when this team comes up a league pass, when they play the Suns, what are you most excited about? Who do you think is the guy that you're you're tuning in for? Is it Bagley? Is it Fox? Is it Giles? Who is it? I think right away it's De'Aaron Fox for me because he really has to develop his jumper for this team to be good long term because I think Marvin Bagley, as you saw in certainly is going to struggle early on. Harry Giles, I think, is going to surprise a lot of people. I think he's better. Hot take, I think he's better than Marvin Bagley. Mm. But I think that De'Aaron Fox, his development on his jumper is the big key for this team because that's their ceiling. I think, honestly, if Fox could be a two-way player, they'll be good eventually. But they're so far away, and having a year where they're going to be maybe a pretty – I think we can all pretty much say one of the three worst teams in the NBA. Having a year where you don't have a first-round pick and you're going to give it to a team like the Boston Celtics, like that just – it's completely unfair from that point of view. But from the Kings' point of view, I just think that they need more young talent. They could have had a guy like R.J. Barrett this year, but obviously they can now. So they're stuck in a really weird predicament where they're really betting on a guy like De'Aaron Fox to take a big leap sometime, sometime soon. I'm going to jump in here, Max, and mention that uh, Bogdan has gone in for knee surgery, which uh, mm. is you know very unlucky for him. But you know, a Suns link here with with Marquise Chris getting traded out now. He was obviously the key piece for the Suns in everything that they gave up with that trade for Sacramento. So you know, in a weird way, it it kind of becomes DeAnthony Melton versus Bogdan now in terms of the key pieces from the trade Sacramento <laughs> Sacramento obviously blew the blue one pick with uh Papianis and uh Skell was another pick who you know he's around but uh doesn't look like he's going to be anything special so uh a, a new battle to look out for now that Chris is out of town Max yeah it is uh that's interesting yeah so I think Evan kind of stole my answer I'm a, a De'Aaron Fox stan I love the hell out of that kid I wanted the Suns to take him so Definitely looking at him. I hope he has a big season. Um, but the one I'll kind of throw out as a kind of a dark horse is Buddy Heald. You, you hear a lot from Sacramento people about just loving Buddy Heald. 
I don't think he's ever going to be like a star star, but I think there's maybe some untapped upside with that guy. I could see him being, you know, maybe better than we gave it credit for. And and the funny thing about that would be, is there any chance that Sacramento actually won the Demarcus Cousins trade, Evan? I th- I mean, at this point, I think so. I mean, they have to be. If Buddy Heald is a key piece of their young core, I mean, he developed good last year. He takes another step forward this year. I think you almost have to say that. We've talked about it a lot with development over the over the off season, Max, and you know guys being put in bad situations. And and Buddy's a great uh, one to bring up from you there because you know he was drafted by the Pelicans when they were desperate for somebody to join Anthony Davis, so kind of had pressure on him from the start. And then of course the Cousins trade came, and you know Ranadive called him Steph Curry two point zero and. You know, there was a whole heap of pressure there, but he's ticking along nicely. So, yeah, I think that's a good shout. I think he's definitely one to watch this season and, you know, could be the Kings' best player by the end of it. All right, let's move on to our rankings for this division and then also our bold predictions. Uh, Evan or David? You know, we'll have David go first. We'll give the guests a little bit of a reprieve. David, what are your rankings and your bold prediction? No shocks here. I'm going to go the Warriors at the top, followed by the Lakers, the Clippers, and then Phoenix edging out Sacramento at the bottom of the division. And I alluded to it before, but yeah, I'm pretty confident the Lakers are going to make a move by the deadline, uh, and a pretty big move. I think they're kind of foxing at the moment. Uh, I, I just can't see them wasting a year of LeBron's prime. They have a you know a lot of tools in terms of young assets to to go and you know, get another star and, and that star may not even be available just yet. But I also think, you know, not many people have touched on the fact with all those weird signings they made, they're all, you know, one year deals, some of them at pretty significant money. So that gives them some, you know, tools from money matching kind of scenarios to, to maybe go out and get someone. So I'll throw to Evan now for, for his predictions. I actually have the exact same division predictions as you, David. I have the Warriors at the top, then I have the Lakers, who I believe will stay put and not make a trade this year, like I mentioned earlier. I think they'll finish second. Clippers third, Suns fourth, and I think with a few games in between them, maybe four or five to be honest, I think the Kings run out of the division, and I think my bold prediction is going to be Offseason, I'm going to say Lonzo Ball gets traded to New Orleans for Anthony Davis. And I think Brandon Ingram does stay there. I think it's Kuzma and Ball that go to New Orleans. Wow. That is big. It's definitely bold. I like it. Uh, man, unfortunately, I have to do the same ranking as you guys. This, this division's not hard to rank. It's kind of obvious how it's going to play out. So, yeah, the Warriors, Lakers, Clippers, Suns, Kings. Uh, my bold prediction alluded to it earlier. I think the Golden State Warriors are going to finally kind of suffer their – you know, season from hell to an extent. It's not going to crush them. I think they'll probably finish as like the third or the fourth seed. So, they'll, you know, they'll still be in the top half. They'll have home court, but they're going to be a, a few amount of teams will be ahead of them. And there'll be a lot of talk about, you know, is this team really ready to make another run? Uh, I do think they'll make the finals. And as I've alluded to before, other podcasts, I think they will lose in the finals to the Boston Celtics, partly because of a war of attrition. Okay. I think we're ready for the central division, right guys? Let's do it. So we're starting with the Chicago Bulls. And before I get into any of this, I almost don't even want to do the ins and outs. I just saw news on my phone that kind of trumps everything. I think we should just talk about this. Sham Serenia just reported that Lurie Markkinen has a high elbow sprain. He will miss two months to start oh. the season. Uh, initial reactions, whichever one of you wants to go first. Well, my initial reaction is I thought you were going to drop something phoenix related there and I, I, could, <laughs> I could see the negative in your voice so i was very worried what it was going to be but uh yeah a lot of my hope for this season was around laurie so and a lot of arizona listeners probably felt the same way so 
Uh, I'm just bummed about that. I'll, I'll let you kind of fill in the gaps there, Evan. I, I guess, honestly, from the way you're talking, Max, I thought Jimmy Beller just got traded. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I thought was happening. But um, I think losing Laurie is huge for a team like that. It's going to be so much pressure early on on Wendell Carter. A little bit too much pressure, in my opinion, because who else do they have in that front court? Jabari Parker's going to have to play a lot more for now. And that's going to be a disaster for them, I think. So I think now with this injury, if Laurie's out for the first 20, 25, 30 games, I think the Bulls are in the top five now as far as the tank, tank fest going on for next year. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I, mean, I already thought they were, but uh, now it's it seems pretty clear. I mean, it's weird, though, because in some ways, like, they had such a roster crunch that Lowry getting hurt almost kind of makes it make a little more sense because now, you know, you can slide Jabari to the four and play at the five uh, – uh, Carter Jr., but um, man, I mean, still, he showed so much promise last season. This, it's just a real big bummer. Uh, it's, it's sort of, like I said, it kind of looms over everything. Not a great injury for a shooter either. I, I'm no. assuming it's his right arm. It so, is his right arm, yeah. Yeah, that that's not great. Uh, there is Robin Lopez still on this team. He's in a, <laughs> in a contract contract year for a, a Suns link. I, I had written down, you know, trade because Carter and Markinen are, are the clear future here and and you know maybe Lopez can find himself on a contender particularly now with this injury but yeah gonna be a watch this space now because yeah I think as you noted Max whilst it frees up things short term for the rotation uh it it kind of stifles maybe the direction that the Bulls were were hoping to go in this season yeah uh man I just wish to move on that's sad I, I apologize to any Bulls fans listening I don't think we have any but if if we do I'm sorry <laughs> uh let's move on to the Cleveland Cavaliers so the Cleveland Cavaliers added Sam Decker Channing Fry David Nwaba Colin Sexton Kobe Simmons they lost Jeff Green Kendrick Perkins, Carl White, and I won't make the same joke again. They did lose LeBron James. <laughs> David, I think this is yours. You're going to handle this one, right? Yeah, so Channing Fry signed uh, the Suns link there. He interestingly chose to sign back for the veteran minimum when I'm sure he had other suitors. So that's a bit of a win for Cleveland. But yeah, I noticed today Tristan Thompson made some interesting comments about them still being four-time defending Eastern Conference champs and, like your joke, uh, refused to mention <laughs> the fact that LeBron James was a big reason for that. So, you know, I, my question here is, is, do they blow it up at some point? It, it's quite an interesting roster. You've got Love, Hill, you know, Thompson, Corver, J.R. Smith, uh, even guys like Jeremy Clarkson and, and Rodney Hood returning to this team. And then you've got the underneath that with, with Osman and uh, Sexton and, and Nance looking to sign an extension with his hometown team. So they're going to be one to watch. They, they might start off, um, you know, decent in a in a relatively okay Eastern Conference. But, you know, I think at some point they need to hand over the keys and, and maybe get rid of guys like Corver and that to contenders for some for some assets. What do you think, Evan? Yeah, I really think I'm right on page with you guys. I think that this team needs to blow it up here soon, especially I think Kevin Love's in a situation just like Blake Griffin was last year. And I'm going to throw this bull prediction out there. I, I do have an extra one for when we do more bull predicts for the, the whole division later, but... I think Kevin Love in February ends up a member of the Utah Jazz. Hmm. Wow. That's really interesting. What, what do you think they'd send back? I think they would trade Crowder, Burks, and maybe something else. Crowder headed to. back. <laughs> yeah. That's ironic. Yeah, thinking about that. But um, Crowder, Burks, and a pick for Love. And I think the Jazz make a finals run. Just trying to think off the top of my head whether they would be allowed to trade favors without his permission. Because I think he signed a one-year deal. Or that maybe there's a... 
Is there a player option, I think, maybe on that deal, actually? There isn't. I think it's a team option. Yeah, so that probably does allow them then to, to trade him without permission, which would make him an interesting kind of salary piece in a trade like that. Yeah, that's interesting, Evan. I really like that you pointed that because I, when I saw that Kevin Love deal, I almost thought it seemed like one of those deals you sign because you want to keep an asset and then you know you can trade him later because it's probably going to be an okay deal. Uh, so I do think Kevin Love is a major trade candidate. Maybe not this year. That's bold. It's possible, but bold. I do think that in the next couple of years he'll get traded. But yeah, I mean, I kind of echo this. Is I think the, sort of how we're talking about this team is it's kind of a hard team to talk about, right? It's a, kind of a weird roster. LeBron left them in a kind of a vacuum and. They're kind of competitive looking. I mean, they could make the 8C just based on how bad the East is, but it's kind of hard to be excited about them. I, I mean, I have a buddy who's a who's a Cleveland fan. He loves uh, Chetty Osmond, so maybe that's what you're excited about if you're a Cleveland fan. But yeah, it's it's tough. It's it's not the LeBron years anymore. Maybe we can look to Miami there, Max, as a, a kind of precedent of, of what, ha- what happens after LeBron leaves because you know, they've kind of been in that purgatory for quite a while now different situation with you know the picks that they didn't have and things like that but you know that's what can happen if you you try and keep competing life after LeBron you can you know end up a a perennial kind of eight seed and and not going anywhere I I do want to say one thing about Cleveland though I absolutely love Colin Sexton I think he's gonna be such a good player Mm. in like three or four years he's so fun I mean I hope you're right I I I didn't love him in the draft but I I did love him as a person I think he's like my favorite draft prospect in a long time as a person (laughs) when he was flexing and doing that defensive stance in summer league oh that one (laughs) the best part though is that he allowed a wide open shot after (laughs) (laughs) that's the Colin Sexton experience but let's move on let's go on to Detroit Detroit added Bruce Brown Jose Manuel Calderon, as it's listed here. Keenan Evans, Zajda Pachulia. I didn't realize that. That's very strange. Glenn Robinson III, and David's favorite person, his son, Kyrie Thomas. They lost James Ennis, Kay Felder, Jameer Nelson, Anthony Tolliver. Evan, I'll start with you. This team obviously added Blake Griffin last year. It didn't you know, mesh perfectly well, but sometimes these things take time. Why isn't this team getting more hype? We're in the Eastern Conference now. There's not a lot of stars. Why isn't Blake Griffin like an obvious all-star candidate? And why isn't this team talked about as a kind of an obvious, you know, serious playoff team? No offense to Reggie Jackson, but I think it's because Reggie Jackson's their point guard. <clears throat> Great point. Because I think if they did have a point guard, like let's say if they went for Kemba Walker at the deadline, I think they'd be a really, really underrated team. And I think with Blake and Drummond, they do have the front court already. They need to sell off some of these young guys, I think. Like Stanley Johnson's a flame out, I think. He's not he really hasn't done anything. Luke Kennard's been nothing special. They've really whipped on a lot of their draft picks. So if they can somehow recoup some of these young guys and get an established player sometime soon at point guard, I think that's the big difference with their team because I think the point guard position, even though Blake and Drummond are good, that's as far as they're gonna go because especially in Dwayne Casey's system, how Lowry played, they need a guy like that. It was really interesting that they were one of the teams mentioned going hard after Butler early on because I think, you know, we can all see it that that's the position they're in. They need to take a gamble. They already took one with Blake, so they're kind of all in on that now. And, uh, you know, they're going to be sniffing around trying to add an extra piece to, you know, maybe get some legitimacy, Max. Maybe people aren't talking about them just yet, but, you know, maybe they're one move away from, you know, making a few waves. Yeah, this isn't my bold prediction, but I do think there's a good chance Detroit does something crazy. Like you guys said, there's a reason why they were in the the Butler talks until obviously Minnesota probably told them you don't have anything to trade for Butler. (laughs) But uh, (laughs) yeah, I mean, Evan, that's just, that's exactly right. I think this team turns on Reggie Jackson and it's very hard to have faith 
in Reggie Jackson because he's kind of been a malcontent who had injury issues lately. And, you know, he showed flashes in OKC, but he's never been a player who looks like a top half of the league point guard. And you can't really be a good team without a top half in the league point guard unless you're stacked elsewhere. So I think that's exactly right. How long until uh, ex-son Ish Smith is the starting point guard again, guys? Oh, God. He's very fast, you know. <laughs> All right, let's move on to uh, the Indiana Pacers. The Indiana Pacers added Tyreek Evans, Aaron Holiday, my favorite draft press of all time, <laughs> Doug McDermott, and Kyla O'Quinn. They lost Trevor Booker, Al Jefferson, uh, Alex Poitras, Glenn Robinson III, and Lance Stevenson. Evan, this is your hometown team. What do you got for us on them? Okay, I just want to say this team is – it's not making me angry, but they're so underrated in national circles right now. I don't know why, because they they were so deep already, and they improved their bench by getting McDermott, and they got O'Quinn. They got Tyreek Evans for a bargain of a deal, who I think is going to fit really, really well with Victor Oladipo in their backcourt alongside Collison and Joseph. They have all the, all these all this depth pieces around. I think their draft is kind of weird. I don't like them taking Aaron Holiday, TJ Leaf in back-to-back years. I think that's kind of a mistake on their part, but... I think everything else they're doing so far is great. The Old Depot trade, they obviously have won so far. I think it's, unless they win a title in OKC, I really believe that they won that trade. Sabonis is a great guy with Turner. I think they can both start together long-term. All this team is missing now is just a long-term piece of point guard. I know I mentioned Kemba Walker at the last part with Detroit, but I think if you put Kemba next to Victor Old Depot, that would be a really fun team. I think the Pacers are one of those teams at the deadline to watch for because they're one piece. They're one piece away, I think, from being a really sleeper finals contender. Yeah, I I agree, Evan. And I've got a I've got a bit of a theory on that. I think we have a tendency, both with players and teams, when something really shocks us, like Indiana did last year, we we tend to double down and kind of go, oh well, they won't do it again. So I think that's why they're uh, you know a little under the radar at the moment. There are reports that Oladipo's taken his game to to yet another level. So yeah, I definitely oh, agree that they're. A, Definitely a sleeper team here in the Eastern Conference. The point guard thing you noted is interesting because you know they do have a a logjam of of average point guards at the moment. I've got written down here that you know one to watch for the Suns, like we uh, went through with LA Clippers earlier. Um, you know something might shake out there with a with a Corey Joseph. Um, you know needing to make way for for someone like Aaron Holiday. But yeah, I think they're a they're a bubble team in terms of being a contender in the East. As you said, Evan, they're, they're kind of one move away from really making some noise. What's, what's your general feel on them, Max? You know, I love Victor Oladipo. I've loved him forever. I had him number one in the 2013 draft. I'm an IU guy, so I, I just love the guy. He made a huge leap. It's crazy to hear you say he made another leap because I don't even know what that would look like. But I think the way this team is going to go, it's going to depend on two things. One's going to be, is Miles Turner going to stagnate again, or are we going to see a leap out of him? Because we were expecting a leap last year. We didn't get it. It's important for them. Because, yeah, I like DeMarius Sabonis. I think he's a good player. But Miles Turner's kind of got that upside, right? Yeah. That's the guy you kind of want to see be the second star. The second thing is, how well do Victor Oladipo and Tyreek Evans mesh together? Because, you know, like you said, these point guards, they're kind of mediocre. And I think if you want this team to be at its best possible level, you're going to have them close games with uh, Tyreek Evans and Oladipo kind of doing the, the primary ball handling. And so if those two can kind of figure out a way to mesh and, and play together as a, as a, as a backcourt, I think that's kind of how this team unleashes its full power. Have those two together, have some bonus with uh, Turner and just kind of see how that goes. Like, they're kind of missing a wing unless Bojan is great again. Uh, but that's kind of how I see this team. What, what do you think, Evan? What's their best lineup? 
I really think their best lineup is, um, like you mentioned, I think Tyreek at the point guard. You have Oladipo at the two. I'll skip the three for now. I'll go to Sabonis and Turner at the four and the five. And then I guess just for spacing reasons, I think I'm going to go with Doug McDermott or Bojan, one of those two guys. Oh, I forgot about Doug, yeah. Yeah, I think Doug makes a lot of sense there. I know he's signed to a long-term deal. I think he's going to take Bojan's spot this year, so I would just go Doug at the three there. But they they do need a defensive wing for sure. Yeah, I think both are on the money there. I think that's a really good point by you, Max. And I think something you touched on in our Memphis preview is Evans and and how well he played was was largely due to you know what Memphis really lacked in that position uh, and in that kind of uh, role on the court as as primary ball handler because they you know been attacked by injury so much that he was kind of opened up that space for. So you know can he do the same thing on a, on a team that's full of point guards and a guy like Oladipo? It's going to be a really interesting thing to watch. Yeah, it is. Uh, all right, unless you guys have anything else, let's move on to the Milwaukee. Bucks. The Milwaukee Bucks added Pat Connaughton, Dante DiVincenzo, thank God he didn't come to us. <laughs> uh, Tim Frazier, Trayvon Duvall, Ursan Ilyasova, Brooke Lopez, and that's it for the ends that matter. Uh, out were Brandon Jennings, Jabari Parker, Jason Terry, Marshall Plumley. David, this is your team, right? It is, and uh, Eric Bledsoe is my one Suns link here. He's going into a contract year, guys. That that deal from the Suns is finally coming to an end, so it'll be interesting to see whether we see a revitalized Eric Bledsoe on the Bucks this year under Coach Bud. Middleton's also an unrestricted free agent, I believe, at the end of this year. So, you know, my big question with them is I, I love the move for Lopez. I liked the move for Ursan, even though I didn't like the contract that they gave him. I thought that was overs. Um, but, you know, is a core of Bledsoe, Middleton, Giannis, and Lopez with, you know, a fifth starter or, or finisher on this team, is that going to be good enough in the East, Max? Uh, yes. I say yes. I don't think the East is all that good, and... I think Giannis is, I mean, I have, looking at the world of Giannis, he's my favorite player in the league who doesn't play for the Suns. I think he's going to be the best player in the league someday. I think the biggest thing Milwaukee had to address was the head coaching position. Yep. They did that, I think. Uh, I think Coach Bud's going to be awesome for them, and I think they're going to be extremely good, as I'll touch on in my bold prediction. Evan, what do you think? I think I'm sort of the opposite direction. I, I think Milwaukee will be good this year, but I think the clock started on Giannis, which is how the trends are going with the Stars nowadays. The Bucks have two years to do something. I think they have to do something within the next two years or Giannis is going to want out because with the way that's going, every year they request a trade before the year before they hit unrestricted free agency. And I think Giannis has said it before. I know he's a loyal guy, but he's gonna, like you said, Max, I agree with you. He's going to be one of the best players in the NBA here soon. I think he's going to be like a LeBron when he first left Cleveland. I think there's going to be so many teams after that guy in 2020, 2021. Maybe the Phoenix Suns at that point, who the hell knows. But I think that... Some guy like Giannis isn't going to stay in a small market like Milwaukee because I just think it helps his brand more, and I think that he's going to be a guy here soon that's going to be making a lot more money than he will off the court with all the endorsements with Nike and all that stuff. So I think as his star image goes, I wonder how Milwaukee's going to be because I think with Budenholzer now, I think you have to prove within the next two years, and I think that's why, to be honest, I think it's kind of a risky thing for Milwaukee to do with that, but I think I really think they should trade Jay Butler. I think they should trade Chris Middleton for Jamie Butler. That's uh, something that Max has brought up on uh, on our last episode, I think. So 
uh, that would make both of you happy from a, a prediction standpoint. I think it's <laughs> it's an interesting thing to watch. I guess longer term, Max Evans' point there, but you know, Giannis doesn't seem the type, but neither did Jimmy Butler, as was noted in a report today. He he was a different kid back when he first started versus the the man that he is and and kind of what he desires these days in in joining a new team. So definitely interesting to watch. Short term, I think you make a great point. Maybe their their best acquisition is coach bud uh who turned down phoenix obviously but you know something that igor mentioned recently in relation to the Suns of like turning a, a weakness into a strength with the point guard position i think you could say the same thing about this bucks team you know there's there's playmaking issues and um you know maybe shooting issues as well with this kind of core around Giannis. but you know bud's history with that best atlanta hawks team that was under him with guys like carol teague Horford and Millsap you know he kind of creates a motion heavy offense that that can really work and and maybe he can do that again with the Bucks and have a little bit more x factor than he did uh with the Hawks with a with a guy like Giannis yeah you know Bud's gonna do things like play Giannis at center which you know that should be experimented with he's not gonna do things like play a clearly not uh, ready to play Jabari Parker in the playoffs and destroy the team. and Shabazz Muhammad like he's not gonna do these stupid things Milwaukee was leaving more on the table, I think, than any other team in the league last year. So I think just just by not doing that anymore, they're going to make a, a big gain. Uh, and I do want to also address the the Giannis leaving thing. It's 2018; like every single player could leave eventually. There's no more loyalty. You know, who a, a year ago today, everyone would have said the most loyal player and who will never leave in the whole league is Kawhi Leonard. That's who everyone would have said. True. No one could ever imagine him leaving. So I think at this point we're you know we're not we're not gonna have to worry about that. That every player might leave if the situation is that good. But let's let's move on. Let's go on to our division rankings and our our bowl prediction for the division. We started with David last time. So Evan, give us your ranking of the Central Division and your bold prediction. All right, Central Division. I'm going to go first, and I think Indiana Pacers are going to win a division this year. I have them first. I have the Milwaukee mm-hmm. Bucks wow. in second. I have the um, Detroit Pistons in third, and then rounding it out, I do have the Chicago Bulls in last night after hearing the Laurie news. And then my bold prediction is going to be, I think it's kind of spicy here. I think Oladipo, like, like I said, the, the Pacers win a division. I think Oladipo gets more MVP votes than Giannis. Yeah, that's big. I'll jump in now, Max. I'm going with Milwaukee. I think you and I are maybe on the same page with that one. This division is kind of the opposite of the Pacific. It, it could go in a few different directions, but I've got Indiana second to Milwaukee, Detroit third, kind of on that playoff bubble, and then Chicago and Cleveland missing the playoffs. Uh, I've got Cleveland in last, and that probably alludes to what I was saying earlier and what is also my bold prediction. I think Cleveland will go full tank job at some point this season. They should. They'll lose a pick if they're uh, not in the top bottom, what is it, bottom 10? Yeah. All right, so I will rank it very similar to David. I got Milwaukee 1, Indiana 2, Detroit 3, Cleveland 4, Chicago 5. So I just switched the last two. My bold prediction is that the seemingly impenetrable triumvirate of Philly, Boston, and Toronto will be penetrated. The Milwaukee will finish with a better record than at least one of them. I want to say two of them. I'm going to say just one of them. Though. I think Milwaukee will be the third seed, which I think is sort of a bold prediction. Give us the one. Who's the weakest? Oh, man. So the weakest is probably, I think in the playoffs, the weakest is Philly. 
Maybe the regular season, too. I, I almost want to give Toronto like sort of like a learning period with Kawhi, but that team is just going to be so good in defense that I think I'll say Philly is the one that kind of falls down a little bit, but not too far. Cool, cool. All right, so I think that's it for our division previews. You guys ready for some seven seconds or less? Always. Ready. Okay, so seven seconds or less, if you're a first-time listener, is the segment where one of us asks the other or the other and a guest three questions for which they have not prepared and for which... They only have seven seconds or less to answer, except we never follow that rule, and we definitely won't this time because these are not easy to answer in seven seconds. Are you guys ready? Let's do it. So these are, I call these starting lineup hypotheticals, and what you're going to do is I'm going to tell you what happens, and you're going to assume that's true, and you're going to kind of assume everything else is sort of standard to what we think is going to happen. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay, so number one, we'll start with Evan. It's early on the season. Josh Jackson has broken out. It's it's very clear that he's kind of like the good side of what we saw at the end of last year. Like he's that player consistently. He's that good. How long does it take until Igor inserts him into the starting lineup? And what does the starting lineup look like when they insert him? Like who's he replace? Evan? Okay, I'll say minimum or yeah, I'll say maximum if he breaks out. I'll say less than a month into the season because I really think we're hinting at it early on. I think we're going to see a lot of point book. I think you were kind of buying into it more and more by the day. I think you could start Jackson at the two with Booker at the one and then just have all these wings out there at Booker and then have Anderson at the four and then maybe Ariza at the four and then eight at the five. Yeah, I'll jump in. I'll agree with Evan, but I'll, I'll kick the can down the road a little bit further. I don't think it'll be quite that quickly. I think we'll see the Suns experiment with point book uh, towards the end of the season, maybe when they're not mathematically out of the playoffs but kind of theoretically uh, I think that's when we'll see it so maybe only with a, a month left to go in the season or something like that okay so you guys sort of already kind of stepped on my second question but I'll, I'll try to phrase it in a way that, that makes a difference <laughs> so I'm gonna be more strict this time you guys have to name a starting lineup with this one so this one is so remember the Josh Jackson breakout thing that's gone now so it's just the same team but this is the difference yep after 10 games it's clear that Devin Booker has taken that hardened leap. He is the playmaker now. He is able to be the starting point guard. It's just obvious. So they're going to make the move. They're going to put Booker at the starting the starting point. What's the rest of the starting lineup, Evan? Booker, Bridges, Jackson, Ariza, Aiden. That would be my closing lineup starting off anyways, too. David? I'll go slightly different. I'll go Booker at the point, Bridges at the two, Ariza at the three, Anderson at the four, Aiton at the five. Okay. I think I lean towards David, but Evans is definitely more fun. Uh, so, okay, here's the last one. This team is in the playoff hunt in March. Somehow, some way, this team is its over 40 wins. Like, this team has a real chance. It's, it's in there. Also, they haven't made a trade. It's the exact same roster they have right now. What's the starting lineup? Ooh. Um, I think Booker at the point guard at that point. And I think... Bridges is in the starting lineup. I think he's going to prove pretty early on that he's got a winning guy. So, Bridges... And then Jackson, if he's proven out so far, I think... Actually, no, I'm going to take Jackson out. So I'm going to do Booker, Bridges, Ariza, Anderson, Aiden. Interesting. I, I don't differ too much. I'm going to say, though, if everything went right and the Suns are in the playoff hunt, it will be because you know someone like Shaq Harrison is starting and, and playing his role. Booker's optimized at shooting guard. Uh, Ariza and Anderson are doing exactly what you asked of them at the three and the four. And Aiton has started better than anyone could have expected at the five. Uh, and just to go into the bench, that would mean that uh, they're all kind of playing the roles that 
they're comfortable with and and proving to be quite a, a difficult bench unit, which uh, is the kind of thing that may project a team further than you first expected, Max. And, and that's how we've got in playoff contention. Yeah, my thought on this is it's almost got to be like a perfect scenario. So like, I, I would think it's got to be like DeAnthony Melton's the starter and he's like amazing right away. Booker's right next to him, also amazing. Jackson broke out. Mikel broke out. He's starting with Jackson and then Aiton, obviously, rookie of the year. So that I think it's just, it's, it's got to be like one of those super high upside things, right? Yeah. Cool. Well, I think that's it for us. Evan, thanks again so much for joining us. Everyone here who listens to us knows that you do Locked On Suns and you write for Brightside, but is there anything you have to you know, promote going forward uh, as we get into the season here? Nothing much, really. If you guys want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at E-Sidery, E-S-I-D-E-R-Y. That's very much appreciated. But as far as podcasts go, I want to say just there's a lot of podcasts out there with Locked On, 7 Seconds or Less, The Solar Panel, The Timeline Podcast. Every all these podcasts are super fun to listen to. So if you guys want to subscribe to all those, it'd be very much appreciated. I know I listen to like I mentioned earlier, David's and Max's all the time. Whenever they drop an episode, I usually listen and soon thereafter. So I really appreciate all these new Suns podcasts out there. It's really fun to have all these different opinions. I like that. That's nice. Yeah, I definitely agree with that, Max. And uh, it, it's been great to finally have Evan on. Uh, we're creating a little community here. He was one of the first that had both you and I on uh, his Locked On podcast and. Uh, you know, it started us off on this journey, Max. So really great. I just wanted to say thanks, Evan, very much. And, and I'm glad we could finally get you on. And I'm ex- excited for the season to start. And we'll have you back, I'm sure. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Yeah, we do owe you a debt of gratitude. Uh, my first two podcasts I ever was on were, were your podcast. So you're the one who got us started on this. So thank you for that. For sure. Cool. So as for us, I am at MaxMCC11 on Twitter. David is at The Four Point Play on Twitter. Our podcast is at 7SOLPod on Twitter. Please rate, review, and subscribe. It makes us happy, and it makes the podcast go well, and we just really like it, don't we, David? We do. And uh, until next week. Until next week. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.